out there, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in to the people, places, things, and concepts of that galaxy far, far away. I'm one of your hosts, Mac, and I'm joined by my fellow speeder bike enthusiast, Ross. Got a bad feeling about this one, Mac. Ooh. I don't know how this is going to go today. I hope it goes... Uh, that's a bad phrase. That's got a lot of charge to it. It, it sometimes does have some effect on the story, we doesn't do it? do that as a topic sometime. We should. All the utterances of... Well, all right. Well, let's save that for another time and tell the audience today what we're talking about, Mac. Sure thing. So we're going to use that phrase as our catapult to talk about Qui-Gon Jinn's views of the Force. We're going to talk about the living Force and what that means in Star Wars, what it philosophically is, and... And how Qui-Gon is the character that revealed that to us, how he saw the Force, essentially, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then we're going to go in and we're going to talk, talk about that wonderful greaseball of a planet that is Corellia. Oh, boy, it's going to be a blast. We're going to talk about metal and grime and sparks and generally heated air and... Factory life. Yeah, what else is there? Dust. Lots of dust, I bet. Lots of dust and lots of, uh, I don't know if it's so much smog, but the air doesn't look clean there. No, probably not. Overcast a lot there, I think. (laughs) Probably. Um, And you know what? I don't know if they're built there. But then we're going to talk about speeder bikes, specifically. We are going to talk about speeder bikes and all of the fun things they do. Like zoom and shoot and all that. And fly and stuff. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be a great episode. We're going to talk about the Living Force for probably about eh, a little over half an hour. We're going to talk about Corelli for about 15, 20 minutes. And then we'll dig into a nice 20-minute eh, discussion about specifically the speeder bikes that we see, the Imperial speeder bikes, and maybe go around a little bit more of them. But like basically just talk about that technology, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a really fun one. I think it is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. All that and more on this week's Star (laughs) Wars All In. You know, nothing in Star Wars really ever starts off from, I've got a bad feeling about this. Whenever people say that, it's pretty inconsequential normally. What? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it, normally nothing big follows that, nothing important. I, I, no big events. You know, or... they usually do succeed, though. No matter how bad the feeling is, usually it, it does turn out okay. Okay, well then let's talk about the first bad feeling oh. to start all of the Star Wars. At least all of the Star Wars from our perspective. When Obi-Wan has a bad feeling in the presence of his master, Gwygon. Mm-hmm. And really, that bad feeling is what we're going to be talking about today on this topic. When yeah. we discuss... The Living Force. Bum, bum, bum. Ba-dum. Okay, perfect. So <laughs> I got this little uh, quote here from the movie. I did watch The Phantom Menace this morning. And what we're talking about today in all seriousness is all of Gwygon's essentially 
views and philosophies on the force, but we're right. going to kind of uh, clarify that into what we'll just call the living force. Now, this quote directly from the Phantom Menace, if you haven't watched it in a while, it's between Obi-Wan and Gwygon. They've just disembarked from the Radiant Seven. They are on the trade blockade, the Trade mm-hmm. Federation ship. Uh, and they're having a conversation. They're having a little master and apprentice moment there, kind of in that meeting room, waiting to uh, be served some poisonous gas by a droid. Uh, so Obi-Wan says, I have a bad feeling about this. Qui-Gon says, I don't sense anything. And Obi-Wan says, it's not about the mission master. It's something elsewhere, elusive. And this is our first reference in episode one to kind of the Phantom Menace, this thing yes. that's out there that we can't quite touch. And now in supplementary material that's come out, I mean, over a decade, two decades later from this film, we're getting more and more about how the Jedi are aware that something is coming, something is happening, but they have no idea what it is. So these lines in the film now can mean a lot more when you look at it with all this supplementary material surrounding it. And really, that's what that material is meant to do. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about these lines from the film yeah, in the moment in the theater in 1999, a lot of this, I think you could say, is very speculatory. But when you yeah. take into account everything we've learned about it since then, yeah. that's where some of this, I think, starts to solidify a little bit more. And it's great to see. And we'll talk about that more as we go. Okay. But sure, so, sure. Uh, makes sense so far? Yeah, I'm on. I'm, You're, on. I'm feeling good about that. So, uh, you know, it, it, elusive, Obi Wan says. And then Gwygon says. Don't center on your anxieties, Obi-Wan. Keep your concentration here and now where it belongs. And Obi-Wan says, but Master Yoda said I should be mindful of the future. And then that's where Gwygon drops, but not at the expense of the moment. Be mindful of the living force, young Padawan. And that's the first time we really hear the words living force strung together. Right. Now, when Obi-Wan talks about the force to Luke in episode four, he does say, you know, binds us, penetrates us, the living force is all around us, that type of, the force is all yeah, around yeah, us. Yeah, the idea, right? life creates, it makes it grow, is Yoda's line, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, we have that, but this is the first time we're hearing this kind of capital L living force, you know, this thing yeah. that we will come to make too big of a deal out of later as fans. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, that's the conversation that kind of pushes all of this forward and sort of starts this conversation. Um, and now throughout the rest of the film, because that's where we have Liam Neeson portraying Gwygon Jin, and we have this sort of unique character, this Jedi master who is defiant of the ways of the rest of the Jedi. I mean, we're getting that right here from his very first conversation, and we're meant to believe this is important because we know obi-wan is a character we trust him at this point right so they know that if obi-wan is questioning this character we're going to question him too right even though obi-wan is the apprentice in the situation right right, right. at least that's how that's how i interpret no no, it. no it, it makes sense because like you said yeah obi-wan is our gateway character to episode one in 99 because he's the only legacy character we're really going to see in this yeah. movie and to be fair he is also the main character of the trilogy i mean you know anakin obviously but he is the through line character yes yes okay uh interesting so let's go in a little bit and talk about okay what do we see from guaigon the rest of this film so we see guaigon of course going through and uh talking to jar jar and all that i don't know you know we don't need to get into that too much i don't (laughs) think there's a whole lot there uh when he's like quietly dissing jar jar about being able to speak and whatnot 
But there is some other stuff, you know, when we get on to Tatooine and then eventually in the Jedi Council Chambers that I think are worth mentioning. But essentially, Gwygon is the only character who's acting different. That's the way we can kind of talk about it as a whole. He's the only yes. character who is going against the Council, who is going against, uh, well, Obi-Wan, obviously. But well, he's trying to do his own thing. And how do you read into that in the well, moment? Well, I think the biggest thing about it is, is you see that, that Qui-Gon's a maverick. He has got a different read on most of what happens in the Force. And Obi-Wan, who is his apprentice, is very respectful of Qui-Gon's position. But he's always going like, well, everybody else does it like this. And you can tell that Obi-Wan kind of wants to be the conformist. He wants to be, you know... He wants to be doing what he thinks is the right thing, and he doesn't have the confidence of his master to just say, well, I know what I believe. Everyone's like, I'm still figuring it out. So yeah. oh, Yoda yeah. said that, like, and so you see Yoda and Mace and other characters kind of represent what we as fans have learned is the way of the Force, because we've only heard the Force really described by Yoda before in, mm -hmm. you know, episode five. So we're like, well, that's the way it is. And this guy's saying it's something different. Wait. Did they have different philosophical debates about the Force? I thought it was just, like, written in a source book somewhere, and it just said, it's this, this, and this. Done. <laughs> well, we'll come to it's learn like that it's maybe, a religion. maybe that is the fault of uh, some of these organizations, right? <gasps> <gasps> wow. Shock face. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about another Gwygon quote while we're here, kind of in the middle of the movie. This one not from the movie at all, but I want to talk about it here while we're talking about him on film. So, uh, living beings generate the living force, which in turn powers the wellspring that is the cosmic force. Mm -hmm. So, that being from the Clone Wars Season 6, when Yoda goes and interacts with Gwygon as part of the force, and Gwygon basically is telling Ob uh, Yoda... <laughs> Uh, you know, you have this journey to take. You have to finish the trading that I couldn't finish. Basically, what I'm saying is because Gwygon is coming back to us from the Cosmic Force, from whatever version of the Force you want to call it, once you've reached that level of, let's call it enlightenment, mm -hmm. I think we have to take that character's word as truth. Mm. How do you feel about that premise? Because I think for what I kind of want to lay out here, <laughs> we have to take any Force Ghost word as essentially all-knowing. So think. So of, let me let me rephrase I, real quick because I want to give you another second to think about it too. Yeah. So think. Let's go outside of the Gwygon example. Let's go to Yoda in Episode Eight. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yoda knows everything. Yeah. When that character comes back as a Force Spirit. He is now part of the cosmic force, and being part of the cosmic force, I think, has to mean you are all knowing. Past, present, future. I think you have to know everything by being part of the cosmic force, because you can see and touch and extend throughout space and time at that point. I, so here's my thing. I understand your premise, and I think that characters like Yoda and Qui-Gon, in the way that portrayed in... Episode 8 and also Qui-Gon through the ends of Clone Wars and stuff. Like, I, I think they read that way. I think there's one glaring issue I have with Hit that. Hit me. Uh, Obi-Wan in yeah. Episode 5 go, going like, that boy was our only hope. No, there is another. I'm yeah. like, if Yoda, a mortal being, knows that, Obi-Wan yeah. sure as snot should know that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, it's a, I did think about that when I was kind of well, ramping this up. I think it's what you... I guess the whole thing is the whole point of being a force ghost is yeah. you come back yeah. 
and you maintain your personality. You maintain yourself. Whereas they imply you go to the nether world of the force. You, yeah. your energy is expelled out yeah. into the cosmos and you're not really, you're part of a, a living thing, but you're no longer yeah. in this case, like, let's say you're no longer Yoda. You're just part of a cosmic energy force. Right. So if you come back, I, I'm going to guess it's sort of like, what do you do with that ability? I could see Obi-Wan okay. being very practical minded and, kind of sticks very close to his self, what he was when he died. So Whereas way, Yoda opens his mind and being a lot more, you know what I mean? That's very interesting. So the way, okay, so the way I was thinking about it was essentially the force spirit, the person who is this sort of hand for the force as a whole, reaching back into the living world to communicate with someone for whatever reason. Yeah. It's up to that individual essence, right? So the Yoda, the Obi-Wan, whoever, whomever. Yeah. To, in a way that can be conveyed into the living world, mm -hmm. uh, disseminate information. Let's put it this way. And, and if, spread information out there. If in Star Wars, when yeah. you die, you become part of the, the Force, yeah. right? This energy field that binds and connects everything, right? Yeah. I feel the Force Ghost thing is you retain the memory of yourself you're you're dead you're you're not actually part of you're not really you anymore but you're an avatar for the force through that being's understanding their experiences all of that stuff yeah so obi-wan who is consistently shown to be a fairly right angles like practical thinking yeah. person yeah. i could see him having a much more limited view of that new state of existence yeah i could see him being very like oh i'm back i can tell luke to run that's good like and that's it right like i could see him being very not understanding the immortal being he's become yeah. whereas qui-gon who figured this out on his own with no training is just a much a galaxy brain thinker to get there in the first place and then when he teaches that technique i could see yodi Yoda acquiescing to it a lot better, and I could see Obi-Wan going like, well, this is a cool trick to have. <laughs> You're absolutely right about it being a cool trick to have. I mean, what Jedi wouldn't want, <laughs> wouldn't want that, right? Who wouldn't want that power? Yeah. But, okay, so if you're retaining your individual philosophy... All right, let me go to another quote. Okay. All right. So there's another uh, Gwygon to Yoda. Uh, you know, well, Yoda starts, but... Who are you? My imagination it must be. No, it is I, Gwygon Jin. Oh, that cannot be. Dead you are. No, I am part of the living force. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if Gwygon is part of the living force mm -hmm. and not part of the cosmic force, right. then that would essentially mean that Gwygon's identity, can. it's almost like he's in purgatory. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Okay, so all right, let's 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 hash out a few mechanics here. Is that a yeah? So, so that, we're referring to the end, <laughs> one of the ends of Clone Wars, the second end of Clone Wars, uh, the the Netflix lost lost episodes, which is now what season six, season six, yeah. Um, where Yoda goes on kind of a spirit journey, we get uh, basically the the crew of Clone Wars trying to um. Once and for all, get people to get what midi chlorians were supposed to be about yeah. and what some of the imagery and thoughts of the Force are supposed to be. We're kind of seeing, like, I guess I would argue, George Lucas's last available statements 
on this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And if you go back to the Mortis trilogy, we get all into the philosophy of the Force. But I'm just going to summarize a piece here that they established, which is there is a at least two versions of the Force. There is what they often will refer to the Living Force, but let's just call call it the the you know the Force of the Living, because we're going to talk about the Living Force as a philosophical viewpoint as well. Yeah. But the Force of the Living is. That is the thing that animates beings. It's okay. the thing that gives us um, life, makes it grow. You know, it's the stuff that Yoda was talking about. It's the f- energy force that they draw upon to yeah. force push and force sleep and manipulate the physical world they embody. And I should point out, we are only really pulling information from canon on this. There right. is more of this in Legends, just FYI. Yes, and it's and it's different because yeah. we were working out of a smaller playbook yeah. in in Legends. So just so everyone knows. um, and then you have the cosmic force, which, as originally presented in that Clone Wars episode, is the idea of the eternal force that exists beyond this existence, this physical world. Right. So the idea is, we think that at that time, maybe that's where visions of the future come from because the cosmic force doesn't have time that's where we think that we can see things across great and vast distances or feel things because in the cosmic force there is no material world so there is no space there is no distance there is no time there is you know it's a it's a place of emotion and feeling and and existence that is beyond what we know as mortal beings right and in that sequence they kind of just talk about that the living force is generated it was caused by the cosmic force and that the cosmic force created the living force and that the living force feeds back into the cosmic force and it goes back and forth and they are in complete symbiosis they mention something about that in episode one don't they mac yes about uh symbiotic circles Uh uh-huh uh-huh with another aspect of the force which you mentioned a moment ago, called Metachlorians. Correct. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read directly another quote from the Clone Wars that has to do with that, and we can talk about it a little more because you're essentially hitting it on the head already. Yeah. All that surrounds us is the foundation of life, the birthplace of what your science calls Metachlorians. So at this point, Yoda has traveled to this world that essentially seems like it's built out of light, and life and you know basically plant life yes energy uh basically good vibes (laughs) the foundation of what connects the living force and the cosmic force when a living thing dies all is removed life passes from the living force into the cosmic force and becomes one with it one powers the other one is renewed by the other Mm -hmm. so if we take that mixed with Gwygon's coat quote basically Gwygon and Obi-Wan and Yoda and Luke and all the Force users after him, Leia, do not pass into the Cosmic Force. They mm-hmm. stop at the Living Force. So they the lose Cosmic their Force, bodies, but they still stay here. Yes. Now, you're talking about Cosmic Force as feeling and emotion. Um, I, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. You know, it, it's the yeah. intangible. It's the destiny of it all. That's how I look at it. If we use our world terms, I would say that the cosmic force is what is our soul, Mm -hmm. right? The living force is what allows us to manifest here in this world. The cosmic force is our presence in the next world. Yeah. Yeah. Philosophy, right? Um, Well, okay. So let's keep going then. 
let's keep going through yeah. uh, Qui-Gon's story here. So we know that Qui-Gon is very frustrated with the council for not letting him train the boy. Mm-hmm. Right. They feel, uh, according to Obi-Wan and including Obi-Wan, that, you know, the boy is afraid. The boy is dangerous. They all feel the boy is dangerous. Why can't Qui-Gon sense that? The entire council does. That's how Obi-Wan feels about it. Yeah. Right. We read him. He's bad. Moving on. Moving on. The council, but already this is the first, well, not the first, but the first play that we're kind of directly seeing of Sidious. So we know that he's responsible for the Trade Federation. But, you know, because the Jedi Council is blinded by this attack from the Sith or this entity they believe can't be the Sith, you know, the Sith couldn't have returned. That would be insane. Right. Mm -hmm. So. They're blinded by this. Qui-Gon, we don't have time for this right now. We'll worry about this later. This isn't important. Go find that guy with the red lightsaber. That's what's important. Yeah, you know? because we got we to gotta figure out who this guy is. Uh-huh. They're, well, he they're, could be Sith. I mean, he's not that, but we got to find out who he is anyway. Right. They're, they're more worried about hunting and killing someone, not following the well, Jedi way, than ghost of their worrying about away. knowledge. And, you know, yeah. you know they're, they're not taking the Jedi path. And they're very much doing uh, what we saw happen to Luke in episode five. Oh, look at this kid. He's probably too old. Uh, he doesn't fit our mold. Mm, yeah, we're going to pass. We're not going to we're not going to admit him to the school. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Uh, OK, so let's see. We talked about that. Let's see. We talked about that. So then let me ask you a question here. Is mm-hmm. being someone who wants to transition into the living force being someone who wants to retain their identity after death as Gwygon did for someone mm-hmm. who wants to be strong in the light side of the force. Does it require you to be, I mean, is it being just a good person? Is it having good values? And that's what is able you to live the way Gwygon lived. Well, okay. So at this point I have to refer to this in a different context than we've been talking up to. Now. Okay. What's that? I take this as a dramatic power. And what I mean by that is this to me is referencing like um, the, the ghost of Hamlet's father he sees in Shakespeare. You know, it's the idea of these are characters that have information for the plot. They are, have information for the characters that will continue on. They are messengers or have unfinished business and so I feel that's the mold that they were drafted as a story. And in the story, the context is that they still have a destiny about them. You know, Obi-Wan needs to on Hoth tell Luke to go Dagobah because how could he ever learn that information otherwise? Obi-Wan has a reason to, even though he's dead, continue on for the will of the Force. Even though Qui-Gon dies, he has messages and information to relay to the living that he has to stick around for. Yoda needs to be there in episode eight to give Luke a lesson he didn't learn yet. You know, it's it's destiny. Um, it gets muddled because how would the ghost perceive all of that? Because it's really kind of hard of like, well, I guess I'm just going to sit around here until uh, the universe calls upon me. Well, purgatory is boring. <laughs> you know, like, it doesn't necessarily make sense when you forget that this is a dramatic story, a mythic tale. Um, but for me, I can't help but see it as like, that's the reason they're here. There's a piece of exposition a character that's alive needs. And so these characters, 
must stay around. Whether they want to or not, it has nothing to do with their wills anymore. It, it's the universe requires them to be at certain points in history yeah. from here on out, and they died too soon. So we will allow the circumstances for them to continue on to exist. And it could be that simple, right? Mm -hmm. The will of the force. It could be as simple as this cosmic thing that knows every second of everything that will ever happen and is going to happen mm -hmm. is pulling levers behind the scenes to make things happen, mm -hmm. right? We don't truly know if the Obi-Wan who sits on a log in episode six is actually the same Obi-Wan that Luke talked to, or it's just the force puppeting him from afar. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think you and I both believe it's the same Obi-Wan, but we don't actually know. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just... We know so little about it truly that all of this really is speculation. But what I think is so interesting about Qui-Gon's view of the Force is that even in his sort of last moments when he's fighting Maul, he is kind of preaching what he, you know, practicing what he preached. He's a, uh, he, he is, uh, you know, when they're, when they're trapped there at the end, he's there meditating and he's living in the moment. He's not focusing on what's going to happen when this door comes down right. and I have to fight Maul. He's meditating there in the moment, centering himself, thinking of himself, being his uh, his truest self, you know. Um, well, I... Listen to this one. Mm -hmm. Another quote from The Clone Wars. At death, in order for you to preserve your identity, you must know yourself, your true self, and then let go. Mm -hmm. So is that... What's happening there as Gwygon is meditating, as Gwygon is taking this time right at his moment of death, right before it, is he sort of self-reflecting? Is that what that meditate meditation is? I think it to agree. I think I think the thing that makes Qui-Gon different, and maybe you know, and again, we'll we'll definitely see when we get to the High Republic. I hope um, some other of mixes of philosophy on how yeah. people are interpreting the Force. Um, but I think that Qui-Gon's major thing and the way he describes the living force, the way he looks at things is um, one of my favorite lines from his in episode one is, you know, your focus determines your reality. Yeah. Right after they leave the Jedi Council. Mm -hmm. Right. And he's talking about that. And I, I look at that as I go. The thing that makes Qui-Gon different is Qui-Gon is not stuck in this paradigm of we are great and powerful beings. And we must use our power to save save the, the weak, the innocent, and bring justice to the galaxy. I think he really sees the world that way. I think he sees it as, I do what the Force wills me to do. I am a servant of this cosmic equilibrium that is making the universe just and peaceful and wonderful. And that servant mentality, I think, is why he's so focused on the moment. Because he thinks if you start putting your own ambitions, your own wants, your own desires ahead of that, you start clouding the way to see the actual what's happening. The idea is like the Jedi focus on there's a red blade. We need to stop him. And so that becomes their reality. The reality is there's a Sith plot that needs to be uncovered. That's what's important here. Not what is going on in the galaxy. How did we allow the Trade Federation to grow powerful and do such a bold act of you know, aggression in a galaxy that's generally at peace, you know, they're members of the Senate. Like, how did how did it get this far? Our world has been at peace for however many centuries. Generally speaking, this is out of tone. No yeah. one's looking at that. Everyone's looking at the fact of like, 
oh, well, this is a problem. We need to solve it. Because that's what we do. We're judges. Mm-hmm. We're juries. We're, mm-hmm. we're cops. That's our job. And I think you see that, that Qui-Gon consistently is, let me take myself out for a second, see the picture as it actually is, and see what I can do. So, like, when he meets Jar Jar, he says, like, you know, Jar Jar, you're, like, you're kind of an idiot. Uh, you, don't, you don't owe me a life debt. This is dumb. And then he notices the mode of, like, well, actually, he could get us to this underwater city. That would be useful. Perhaps it was destiny we were met. And then when he has the chance to leave Jar Jar to his fate in, in the city, he's like, no, there's still something to you. I'm open enough I can see that you still have yeah. a tale in this story. And I think the whole thing about him at the at the the energy doors is he's like, like there's no point in anticipating the moment these doors are going to open. They will open in their own due time. I need to make sure that I am not anticipating that. I need to make sure that I am here grounded in this moment of patience, of waiting, mm-hmm. of being open to what will happen rather than being focused on what I want to have happen. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. I I think I agree 100%. Yeah. With that. I mean, yeah. as as I mentioned in the Mortis, uh, I have a lot of tenets of Taoism in my own personal philosophy and one of the things there is following your Tao your way. And I go, this is this is my own philosophical religious struggle in real life is constantly going like, don't think about where you've been. Don't think about where you're going because those either have already happened and you can't do anything about them or they have yet to happen. And you can't do anything about them. Focus on right now because the moment you exist in is really the only moment you have any control at all. Yeah. And it is an illusion to get fixated on the future or be stuck in the past. And I'm like... Qui-Gon, to me, is the Star Wars avatar of this, of that philosophy of just being open to what is actually happening rather than coloring it with your own opinions and perceptions and wants and desires. I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't have anything else to add to that. <laughs> I, uh, I think Qui-Gon is a very interesting character. We've now had a book. That stars him a little bit, where we learn a little bit more about his uh, philosophies on life. We uh, have another book, Dooku Jedi Lost, where he uh, we see him a little bit as a Padawan, and we learn a little bit about kind of what got him started mm-hmm. uh, with this way of thinking and his master and the way he trained him, uh, Dooku. And uh, we see a little bit more from Gwygon uh, in the Gwygon comic, the one shot. And uh, we might see a little bit more from Gwygon in some future projects. You never know. Uh, so there could be some more to come there. So keep an eye out. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the most interesting characters. And like I said, I think he represents the the servant mentality because unlike the other Force Ghosts, every time Qui-Gon gets, you, you feel that eerie disconnect. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not Qui-Gon anymore. There's very much, like, he kind of has that embodiment of like, this is a face that's familiar to you. I am a servant of the force. I'm just the force giving you a friendly face so you can understand the lesson I need to teach you. Which, even if Qui-Gon did have his total self in in purgatory, I still think he'd see it that way. So it's like, it doesn't really matter which way you want to interpret it. He's, He's fascinating. He's interesting. I think his brief existence of only being in episode one has made him a very interesting and legendary figure because... You know, he's mythic by the time we hear him again in episode two and Mm -hmm. like beyond our comprehension by episode three, where he talks, where he's 
teaching them how to live beyond life. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's 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 terribly fascinating, and I'm glad. Uh, we've been talking all all year about the fact of like, yeah, prequel love. People are remembering, oh yeah, the prequels are a thing. Disney's like, yeah, we can let projects about the prequels go. And like, we've been finding them terribly interesting because while the prequels are, we really enjoy them. I know a lot of people have problems with them, but it's things like Clone Wars. It's things like these books billowing out those brief moments in those movies that were faster and more intense and giving them the breathing room to make them philosophical and make Mm -hmm. them deep and make... You know, if you want to read about the actual trade disputes, that story is out there. If you want to le- read about the coronation systems of Naboo, you can read that now. Like, And the supplement material allows that to grow. And it's cool to see Qui-Gon becoming so much bigger than Liam Neeson's, again, brilliant, but relatively brief performance. Yes, absolutely. All right, Mac, you ready to fly on over to Corellia and do something else? Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. in the galaxy are built where mac corellia <gasps> no everyone knows that the best stuff is made right here in the core worlds right here on corellia i'm sure it's beautiful there eh. it's not it was at one time i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure certain parts of the planet are still lovely i'm sure there are rich parts of the city where affluent people live mm-hmm. that are nice mm-hmm. maybe but here in the slums, not so much. No, it's it's pretty bad if you're on the low end of the totem pole here. So in 2018, we got Solo, a Star Wars story. And for the first time on film, we got to see Corellia in all of its uh, grimy glory. And so Corellia, the home planet of Han Solo mm-hmm. and Kira and the legend himself, Revolt, uh, as well as <laughs> characters such as Wedge Antilles uh, and all of our other friends we meet in Solo. Who else do we meet? We meet Moloch, Lady Proxima, Lady Proxima. Uh, Revolt Hounds. I don't, they got a figure, so I want to make oh, sure one, they, and the they one, get their due. And the one Imperial recruiting officer who gives Han Solo a last name. That's true, but I don't know his name. I also don't know the name of the Imperial Lady who operates the gate that, that Kira gets you know trapped fun, on. Though? Hmm. I know they probably have names by now. <laughs> <laughs> they probably do. I, uh, I, I'm not young enough right, to memorize so them anymore. <laughs> we're going to talk about Corellia. Corellia ha- is a <laughs> thing that has been around Star Wars since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah, that... A YT-1300 Corellian light freighter. Well... And the funny thing about it is, like, we know that, right? But realistically, the only place in the movies they've really mentioned it is when Han's giving the thing of, like, I can outrun run anything. I'm not talking about your local bulk cruisers. I'm talking about the big Corellian ones, right? 
And he gives Corellia a name, and mm-hmm. we start understanding Corellia is famous, at least by the way Han's saying it, that, like, Corellia is an important manufacturer, a planet. We eventually mm-hmm. find out it's, it's a planetary system, and mm-hmm. it's a culture that is renowned as engineers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Legends went on a completely different path than current canon gave us, and I just want to frame that a little bit. Corellia is part of the core worlds, meaning that they're the intersphere of galactic civilization. Corellia exists, you know, only a handful of light years away from the galactic center, which is uh, Coruscant. And all the core worlds are generally inferred to be nicer, well-developed, pretty, and affluent. Whereas the further you get out from the galactic core, you get to the mid-rim, which are kind of the the middle class of the universe. And then you get out to the boonies of the outer rim where Tatooine is. You know, the furthest from the bright center of the galaxy. <laughs> um, it, it all depends on what hyperlane you're in and what kind of hyperdrive you have. It's true. Because you can get anywhere quickly if you've got the right plot device. I mean, hyperdrive. Nav computer. Anyway, yeah. the point is... Um, so, Corellia was definitely, I think, spelled out to be a nice place. I would say that traditionally it drew more, like, inspiration from, uh, visually, it reminded me a lot of, like, places when we got to see it because it was a big deal when I played Star Wars Galaxy that you could visit it. It was one of the first times they really gave you a vision of what it could look like. And I felt it was very, like, England. Ireland, like rolling hills and grasslands and generally a fairly Midwest, maybe even like vibe, which makes sense because in lots of lots of ways, because of George Lucas's history, a lot of people wrote in this motor city kind of quality to it because George Lucas loved hot rodding cars. The Corellian YT-1300 that is the Millennium Falcon is nothing but a extraordinarily hot-rotted starship. So we got the idea that, like, the Motor City puts out these big, powerful muscle car ships and that most people love them because they're modular. You can rip things out, put things in, rearrange them, and make them into even more souped-up, obnoxious cars like we were used to from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. When the team that made Solo came together, they took that same sort of vibe and went a lot further with it of like, yeah, it is like the Motor City. Except in the Imperial Age, it's probably like the Motor City is now. (laughs) Where it has a legacy of this great manufacturing center and maybe these great engineers that build these wonderful ships. But it's under Imperial rule, so all they do is build ships all day, every day, for the Imperial War Machine. We see Star Destroyers are built on this, making Han's line make a lot more sense. Because when he says the big Corellia ones, he means Imperial-class Star Destroyers. Whereas, (laughs) before that in Legends, we had a planet called Anaxis, which does come back in canon in Clone Wars, but that's a tale for another time. But Anaxis is like not the main military armada depot where all this stuff is being built in dry dock. Corellia has become that. And you can kind of feel from Corellia that like Corellia is worse off under Imperial rule. It may be the slummiest of all the core worlds. Like um, there's the line from the Imperial recruiting officer. He's like, I'm going to go, go and be a pilot. And then I'm coming right back here. I don't see why. <laughs> like he doesn't understand why anyone would willingly want to live on Corellia. Yeah. 
Because it's yes. a dump. <laughs> yes. It, well, it definitely is. Now, there are a few scenes from uh, the novel Most Wanted, which is a novel that takes place shortly before, well, a couple years before, uh, Solo, a Star Wars story, and takes place primarily on Corellia, with the exception of being up in space for a few minutes. Uh, it's a story that has Han and Kira and a few other characters, some you might know, some you might not. Um, basically kind of working with the White Worms gang, trying to kind mm-hmm. of like earn their place, essentially. Uh, and Give you know, the good side of Lady Proxima. Yeah, I mean, they've been working together and whatnot, and Kira's kind of on this path to stardom. They're all sort of fighting for the position of like a, like first, you know, first underling, main underling, you know. They, they call it, I think, head... Uh, head they all want to be the boy, but yeah. they all want to impress Fagin to become the artful Dodger. <laughs> that's, right. that's exactly right. Uh, and so the story is all about them trying to negotiate this deal with the droid Grata and well, all this stuff happens. But basically, we see other parts of Corellia. We see parts that are actually worse off than where Han and Kira are living when we see them in the film. But we also see there is a fancy side to it during Imperial times with, you know, nice hotels and uh, big business. Of course, you know, the people who are making all the money need a place to go to conduct their deals. And so that is still happening on Corellia. We just aren't seeing it. Well, again, the, the slums are for the factory workers. Right. The hotels are for the factory owners. Right, right. The 1%. We know. Yeah. We get it. I mean, it's it's hitting the nail a little heavy on the head, but I, I really do get the idea that I I can't help but feel that Corellia, which has this gravitas in, in Star Wars, is like during the Republic, I would expect that it was a pretty good blue collar planet that took pride in manufacturing mm-hmm. wonderful things. Mm-hmm. And that, like I said, during the Imperial Age, that... The stratification we have, the haves and haves nots, just basically the the scale got the thumb on it and just broke it, right? So there's only 1% and the 0%. There is no middle class. There is no in-between. There is just, you're either a kid in the slums Mm -hmm. or you are, you know, wearing all white because you don't have to clean any of your clothes. Like That's um, what the Empire does. So, I mean, in the film proper, what we see is we see the outskirts of Coronet, the Mm -hmm. capital city of Corellia, where in these warrens, there's all this, like, undercity stuff of, like, these various, I guess, squatter towns, I guess is how I would describe them. Like, they don't seem like, I, I don't think Lady Proxima has a deed for where she lives. I think it's just... A hauled out like factory that was abandoned, so they've just started taking it. Or another factory was built on top of this one. I definitely get the same vibe. Yeah. And so they're they're living um in squalor and it very much is reminiscent of well, we just mentioned it, like Oliver Twist, like a Victorian era London, um well, later well later Victorian era then, you know, child uh labor kind of stuff. Proxima is using these kids to do stuff for her. It's her labor force. Um, And she's got all these hanger-ons around her, and it's just this disgusting gang culture. And we learn later that Han does remember his father because his father worked on the YT-1300. Like, he knows those ships from spending time as a boy with his dad as his dad worked on them. So we get the impression that, like, his dad was some sort of, you know, a blue collar guy working on on the assembly line or, or fixing these things. And when his parents leave the picture, Han's an orphan. 
and as an orphan, he there, there's no child services in the imperial imperial thing, so he ended up where he own the only place he could survive. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point that like you know all he dreams about is getting out of here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he steals a hot rod because apparently uh, he's been boosting cars since he was like twelve. Uh, he uh, and Kira go out on a car chase to try and get to Coronet Spaceport to get off because they have their golden opportunity with Coaxium mm-hmm. to escape. And we see how industrialized yeah. everything's a factory, it seems, yeah. on Corellia. Yeah, it's ports and factories is what it feels like. It's, mm-hmm. it's places for the goods to get offloaded and places for the goods to get made. You can almost see that it's Lake Michigan right there, out there in the industrial hellhole. And you can only imagine what they're pumping into that lake. <laughs> so, what we've got here... <laughs> Oh, boy. What we've got here is we've got this city that we're finally realizing on film. We can actually put a, as we call it, a face to the name now. Right. Now that we have these kind of, we see them weaving in and out of this giant factory, you know, in their feeder. We see people at work behind them, you know, uh, all species. You see sparks are flying. So we know that there are people literally hands on building mm-hmm. these ships working on these ships it's not all automated it's not an assembly line it, you know we have wage workers right and then we see this sort of gated area of mm-hmm. the city this area that goes beyond basically what i think they refer to as the restricted district mm-hmm. and lets you out into what do i assume is kind of like free reign like it's where the 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 higher ups live the right. area where you know it's not oppressed by a police force for example yeah you get kind of the idea that um not necessarily that they're in work camps or whatever but the idea is it a very literal gated community class a very specific classist a classist like yeah, yeah 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 it's yes i mean that's how i would describe it Uh, So here we have basically Han and Kira trying to escape. Han gets cut off. And this is kind of the last bit of Kirillia we see from Han's perspective. You know, he basically joins into the Imperial Navy. Yeah, well, we see. Yeah, we see that like Coronet Spaceport is sort of the bridge. It's where everyone kind of mingles because everyone might have business off world. And we see that the Imperials are really managing that access between you know the free moving side of the spaceport and the restricted areas and one thing i really like about this is the second you see stormtroopers in here you remember oh right we're on an imperial planet yeah like you kind of forget that up until that point Mm -hmm. Um, it's not just corsac yeah it's it's you know it's oppressed by the empire it's a police state they're there and they've taken over and one of my favorite bits is I love once he gets through and he's trying to figure out his next move. I love that it focuses on the Imperial Recruitment Center and how the Imperial Recruitment Center literally is a little chunk of a Star Destroyer slash Death Star in the middle of this space port. Yeah. Like it's cut out. Like it literally has the gray paneling and you're like, why would you even change that? And it's like, um, it just reminds you that the Imperial rule is what it read to me as it's separate. Hi, you can come join us. And then you get to all the nice new clean tech that we have over here in the empire. Well, what about here? We're apart from you. 
yeah, we occupy you, but like, we're not investing a dime in this place. We're not here to raise your standard of living or enforce law. No, 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 no. We're here to just make sure you keep building Star Destroyers. Because that's where we live. In nice, clean, angular space. <laughs> um, not sure if you've ever been off this planet, but there's a lot more out there. And I feel it's really <laughs> telling the fact that, like, the the Imperial officer is super duper not a local. He doesn't want to be here. Screw Corellia. This yeah. is just his posting. He got yeah. stuck here. Yeah. Made and- one bad decision. On one Imperial raid, and you get demoted to the Corellia recruitment wing. And for the record, I feel that he probably did get demoted because the one thing we see about him that's unique is he has a soul. Like, he's actually, he's not a good person or a bad person. We don't see enough to really get a judgment of him, right? But you can see that, like, when Han, he's like, your name, who are your people? And Han's like, I don't have people. You can see the kind of like, really? That sucks, dude. Um, I can't. I gotta put your name in the form. You said Han. Yeah, Solo. That guy. Your name's Solo now. But like, he gives him a name, and 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 yes, it's to fill out the form. But there's actually a small act of like contrition there. Of just he's like, like you were born in Corellia. You're some dirt farmer. I want to help you get out of this hellhole. Sure. (laughs) We'll have you flying in no time, kid. Right. And there's just this, like I said, not, I don't want to make it sound like he's a good person, but like there is concern for him that we really don't see from Imperial officers ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, they are just doing their jobs. They're, they're, they're yeah. good little soldiers. They don't have conflict or interest in the people they're oppressing. Yeah. So it's strange. And that's I like what, it. That's what the empire does, man. It, it, it grinds you down until you either, Buy into the beliefs, you drink the Kool-Aid, or you ship out. Right. That's it. These are the options. Those are the options. Now, we do see Corellia at one point in the future in the sequel trilogy age as well. Now, when we see Corellia, uh, this is in the novel Resistance Reborn, so if you don't want to have any spoilers for that. But uh, basically, the book almost sort of hinges on this mission to Corellia, mm-hmm. where two things are happening. Now, spoilers, just forewarned as we always talk about yeah, but, good. you know coming uh so basically there are two teams there's a team led by poe and finn and they are essentially sent to this birthday this party for this very affluent member of the Corellia community so we're seeing kind of the rich financial district mm-hmm. you know where all the all the barons live and whatnot and so we do get to see kind of the fancy area of Corellia, and we know it's there and it exists and it's thriving, even though the world is under first or, first order rule at the time, first order mm. occupation. Then we see that the first order has converted some of the manufacturing areas of the actual, uh, you know, manufacturing sector of Corellia into imperial, or sorry, first order prisons. <laughs> So what they're doing is they're actually keeping prisoners there who uh, are sympathizers to the resistance or the Republic or, you know, whomever. So the political prisoners. Yeah, political. Yes, exactly. Uh, So the the novel takes us to those two parts of Corellia. We get to see the fancy part, uh, you know, the the well-to-do people of Corellia. 
and then we get to see kind of uh, the story from a First Order officer's perspective. Hmm. Uh, and we get to see Wedge undertake a mission to rescue people on his home planet as well. Hmm. So uh, it's a really, you know, I don't want to give away too many too many spoilers, but if you want to spend some more time on Corellia, if you're a fan, if you like what you see in Solo, those would be the two novels for you that will uh, take you back there a little bit. And the one thing I want to say I love about Corellia is it's always been this way, and it's even, I think, more interesting now that we know what Corellia looks like, at least during Imperial Occupation, mm-hmm. is almost everyone from Corellia loves Corellia. Almost every now, everyone who's not from Curly is like, it's a slum. Like, there's a huge, huge piece of pride to like how Wedge talks about Corellia, how Han talks about <laughs> Corellia, like, and how, again, their ships maybe it only should exist in Legends because Legends established it, but like, it's momentum. Like, a Corellian ship's a fast, good, reliable boat. We just know that. It doesn't really matter if that's not really supposed to be the way anyway because Corellia is a terrible place. No, no, no. A YT-1300, that's a solid ship. Period. End of story. Run it into the ground. They just keep going. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, think about how much... Uh, God. When we saw how much of the Millennium Falcon was ruined by Han. And my favorite thing about Solo, perhaps the entire movie, is I love the fact that we have finally given all the weight behind Luke's line of what a piece of junk. (laughs) Of, yes, he has ruined this ship. It does look like trash compared to what it's supposed to look like. It had a wet bar before and a cloakroom. Are you kidding me? A cake closet? And it looked like someone at least tried to clean it once. How dirty the foam pads and the docking umbilicals got. Like, they're brown. They're like, it's like someone was chain smoking in there for a decade. I used to be pearly white. (laughs) It looks like this apartment you live in before we cleaned it. (laughs) Uh, I'm glad we did. (laughs) We did. Um, So, oh man, I totally lost the point I was going to make. Well, again, it's the point of like, I like that Corelli is very much, and I've, you know, I've known people from different towns. I mean, at some level, our town is kind of this way, too, of, like, there's a lot of people, like, what a dump. Hey, that's our dump you're mm-hmm. talking about. And it's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I kind of, I like that energy to Corellia. You would think Chewie would want to live in a cleaner Falcon. Like, I can understand Han being a mess. But you think Chewie would want to clean? Well, uh, you know, when you think about it, it could, maybe it's just a housewife, husband kind of thing. Like, Chewie's always, like, the only reason anything is clean in there. Like, I mean, look at that that chess table. Pristine. Who's cleaning that? Chewie. Yeah, it's not like it's clothes on the floor. It's organized. It's just dirty. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's functional and lived in. It's just, yeah, no one's caring about its appearance. I guess you're right. Most of it's cosmetic. It's just, it cosmetically looks beat up. Like, yeah. All the plating on the outside of the ship is mm-hmm. gone, and Han's general, I think, view of it is like, well, it'd be expensive to put it back, and we got shields. It's fine. Well, you know, there are two types of people in this world, Mac. Mm-hmm. Those who get a single dent on their car, and from that point on, they're like, eh, whatever, it's going to get beat up. And those who get a dent on their car and go get it fixed right away. Right. We know what kind of person Han is. Han is like the, the dents give it character. Yeah, exactly. He's like me. He's lazy. Yeah, so uh, it's it's Corelli is cool, and I really, I really, really want to see more of it. But that's also because, I mean, as we have established before, Coruscant is my favorite city. I would, or 
I would like to see more of the worlds and their characters. And I think Solo between uh, Minban and Corellia, um, we got a lot of that in that movie. Whereas in other movies, let's just use Rise of Skywalker as an example. We fly past about like, what, 12 worlds in that opening, like for like, skipping, three, like, sure, the hi- sure. like the hyper skipping. I'm like, yeah. I want to know more about those. And we're maybe never going to go back there. Yeah. So I like when we can soak in a world and kind of pick up a culture. And yeah. I think that makes Star Wars a bigger place. I agree. It's nice to see hab- inhabited worlds because the, you know, sequel trilogy and well, all of Star Wars is such a big fan of rural. You mm-hmm. know? It's nice to see some, some city. Yeah. Outside of Coruscant. All right. Anything else to say about Corellia? No, no, but there are, you know, what is on Corellia? Speeder bikes. Ooh. Let's talk about speeder bikes next. Over there, two more of them. I see them. Wait, Leia. Hey, wait. Oh, I'm ready to go fast. How I mean, fast are you talking? Really fast. Like really Hundred fast? Hundred of kilometers per hour fast. I'm an American. I don't know how fast that is. Is that faster or slower than 100 miles an hour? Technically, if you're going hundreds of miles, it's technically slower because a kilometer is less than a mile. Fascinating. But, but it all works out eventually if you do the math right. But I'm talking about, I think that, I, I think actually, I would argue to this day, the most powerful sense of speed we've had in Star Wars. Even with the pod race and stuff, I don't think anything comes close as using the 74Z, or 74Z, depending where you're coming from, speeder bike. Okay, you're telling me that when you're zipping through the forest moon of Endor... Mm-hmm. In episode six, Return of the Jedi, you feel like you're going faster on that speeder bike than you do behind the twin pods of Anakin Skywalker's pod racer. In my opinion, I would agree with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was okay. Say. So there, there are two reasons why I think I agree with you. One, the way it's filmed yes. in the trees, it feels way more claustrophobic because I think, and I don't know. But I think canonically a pod would go way faster than a speeder I think, bike. I, don't I think, even think uh, yeah, it's close. I think it's that pods like, are functionally faster. Yeah. Like they could go faster because I think yeah. we see pods go about three to four hundred kilometers per hour. Yeah. Because you're talking to the like, game. like in my opinion, you're talking about the equivalent of like a dirt bike versus a NASCAR. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's a good analogy. Like, that's how I'm thinking about it. So while it might feel faster because I'm, like, on top of this thing with no seatbelt. Right. Right. Now, the other reason why I think when you look at it on film it feels faster is because all of the perspective is either a camera mounted right in front of our heroes. Right. A camera mounted on top of our heroes so you're seeing the visual view of the first person. Right. Or a camera off to the side. Right, catching right. their their basically their flybys, <laughs> which are very fast. Yes, yes, from a fixed point, from very close. All of the pod scenes are from up above for the most part, 
when you're getting down in the close quarters into sort of first person view. Yeah. You're seeing like down into Anakin's cockpit. Like you're seeing him flick switches. You're not seeing how fast the world is going by around him. So I think it's based on the way it's shot and the environment. I I think you're absolutely right. Well, because isn't it? I mean, that's true of anything. Speed is a perception. Oh, 100%. I don't know if you feel this way, but like when I first started driving, I went, whoa, cars go fast. Like, cars go way faster at night when it's raining. Did you notice that? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you ever noticed that. But like, it's like I remember the first time I got control of a car, and I was just going like, "I have too much power. Stop me! <laughs> this I can go fifty miles per hour. Feels like a billion miles per hour when you're Humans controlling aren't it. Meant to go this fast. So if you think about sitting on top of this, you know, long narrow you know, horse saddle <laughs> would would obviously feel faster than, well, like in our world, right? If you go downhill on a bike, a bike bike, right? It can feel really fast. The wind's hitting your face. You feel all the momentum shift or yeah. like, like a roller coaster. When you go over the hill, it feels so visceral and fast. Yeah. But if you've ever been on a commercial airliner, you've gone five, six times that magnitude of speed. But it doesn't feel that way no. because it's all – it's a lot of it is perception. So I think you're right. I think the speeder bikes are probably actually slower, but I still think that's the, the greatest <laughs> sense of speed in Star Wars because we see these speeder bikes. So let's just describe it real quick. So the speeder bikes that we see in Return of the Jedi, the ones we're talking about here because there's a bunch of them. There's swoops. There's speeder bikes. There's a whole bunch of stuff. We're just focusing right now on the ones we see in Return of the Jedi they're really long. They're maybe about 12, 15 feet long. And they have these narrow forks going forward where they have these like stabilizer fins. Mm-hmm. That comes back into this kind of thick body, which is like a like a motorcycle that you stretched out and made a little bit fatter, a little bit wider. Because it's, it's more like almost, uh, I guess, riding a bull, kind of the shape and dimensions of it. And it's got this padded seat. And the person sitting on it sits, you know, bow-legged over top of it. Two feet are locked onto these pedals that they can use to push up and down. And then their hands, they're leaned forward grabbing these, like, motorcycle-type, like, twisting um, grips that are on these armatures that mount down to the, the rest of the speeder. And then the back is the actual propulsion and the, uh, the repulsor lift that makes it fly. And from what we see, the first time we see it, when the ambush goes wrong and we see the the two speeder bike uh, um, biker scouts look back and go, oh, crap. You just see them turn, twist that handle, and they're gone. Just gone. Yeah. And you know the other thing I think that makes them feel so fast? Those sounds. Those oh, yeah. tortured whines of their engines mm-hmm. sound so like they're going to fall apart. They're screaming so much energy. Mm-hmm. I mean, what kid did not hear that sound see those visuals and immediately want to hop on one of those right i mean it's what you wanted to do it was all you wanted to do when you saw that like growing up that was my favorite part of the movie was just Uh, the fact that oh my god these speeder bikes are so fast mm -hmm. and then you know you eventually you kind of are like okay you know it's just another part of it but man like when you're a kid and you're seeing that well when the ewok gets on it and goes you're like i want to do that i want to be that guy (laughs) <laughs> but I assume the pedals must not be necessary since he's not reaching them and it's not preventing him from piloting the, oh, I'm thinking about it too much. I'll stop. <laughs> well, I think it's just momentum. Once you get rolling. 
Okay. You don't need the pedal. <laughs> well, uh, I remember in the old technical manuals, I think partially to explain that, um, is that they would write that the pedals controlled your altitude. So, like, by basically pulling in or pushing down, you could raise or lower the height mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, that the repulsor lift was holding the, the vessel at. Um, not that we really see that. Everything sort of happens on a single plane as yeah. we go through that speeder chase. But the other thing we also see about these, these are military bikes. These are designed for imperial use because we see that they have small blaster cannons they built do. to the front. yes. Also, we could get some lightsaber deflections. Oh, the start of lightsaber. Not the start. We do see it on Java's sail barge. We see some deflections. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, we, we see some blocking. We don't see the shooting it back at them, did we? Well. Does he, he bounce one back? No, he sends them aside. I don't yeah, think... he's he's like, he's he's deflecting them. Does he deflect one back into the cannon? I don't know. We're going to get to the force power uh, of, yeah, uh, lightsaber of, of lightsaber blocking. We'll, we'll do the research. Take, we're going to take more in-depth notes. You're but, the one who's seen them. You always rave about seeing them, that film a billion times. Well, I stated what I said, but now you're making me question it. <laughs> I know. Um, sorry. Um, but, I mean, the other things we also see that, that are interesting, like I said, those stabilizer fins, we know that they're part of the most important thing of keeping this thing from not rolling because once they, Luke cuts one off, it just spirals like yeah, crazy right did, into a tree. It does not have a backup plan at all. No, no. It kind of no. makes you go, well, it feels like the equivalent of what it's referencing. It's referencing the forks of like a, of a motorcycle, especially a low rider, long hog kind of like motorcycle where, yeah. yeah, if you lost your front wheel, you would have a bad time on a motorcycle. So same thing here. You lose your front forks. Apparently you can't fly the damn thing. I don't know. Denzel could have done it. I've seen flight. Um, he could have done it upside down. I well, think. this is just some biker trip. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> Let's put it this yeah, way. They're he's, idiots, Wheeler. Well, he's spiraling out of control. And as much as it, I can understand shock would make you not do this, but I'm like, the answer is to let go. Just fall off of it. Sure. You've got a helmet on. Well, you, you might die, but it's the difference between maybe dying and guaranteeing death because we've already heavily yeah. established what a terrifying place to have a speeder bike chase is where... Everything around you is giant trees. Yeah, those trees are not moving. Rocks. You're not that far off the ground. And even then, there's all kinds of stuff coming up out of the ground. It's like the the ground is even. Mm -hmm. Remember that tree that Wolverine got impaled on in the last X-Men movie? That's what happens when you go flying off a speeder bike. (laughs) Yeah. How could a tree go through him when his body's made of metal, you might ask? Well, I don't know, but in Star Wars, it would happen for sure. Well, these are pretty powerful trees. Yeah. They're not your average every day. These are the big Carillion ones. These are the big, powerful trees. <laughs> they are. They are. God, those trees are beautiful. Now, we see this particular speeder bike uh, a lot, especially in Legends, because there's the 74Y, which is just the civilian model of this. Basically, it can be other colors than brown, and it doesn't have a laser cannon on it. Um, but we see this a lot uh, in the Star Wars comic, for instance. Mm-hmm. We find that this is a common thing you'll find all over yeah. uh, the Imperial military. We find out later that there are a complement of these most on most AT-ATs mm-hmm. uh, to use as support vehicles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in a gazillion Star Wars games, it appears 
Um, it's a common troop in most of the real-time strategy games that have been built up around Star Wars. Uh, and we've also seen it a bunch of times in the toys, right? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, when I was a kid, I had the, uh, it was the, so Power of the Force 2 exploding speeder bike that would, like, break into a couple pieces. Yes. Um, but the one I played with a lot was the Shadows of the Empire swoop bike hmm. that had kind of, like, the the big, like, over-the-top handlebars and, like, the side cannon that would pop out of it. Oh, uh, okay. It was from, remember, like, the Tatooine mission in the Shadows of the Empire game? Yep. So that was the speeder bike I played with the most. Now there is a fantastic six-inch Black Series speeder bike uh, that how, is gorgeous. How big is that? Not as big as you'd think. I, it might be maybe like 14 to 16 inches long. Well, I guess I guess if it's one-six scale and the figures are – or not one-six scale. I'm sorry. Uh, one-twelve scale. They're like six inches, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I guess, yeah, it would only take – one or two of their heights to equal the length of a huh is it blow apart it doesn't no <sighs> it doesn't but it does have some flaps that move it's pretty cool it's That's... pretty it's pretty cool i have two one of them i've been keeping in box which you know i don't normally do but it's just kind of like i didn't have a where to, a place to display the second one and i got yeah. them they they went like they, I think they retailed at like forty or fifty bucks when they first came out, and at one point Amazon was selling them for like twenty, twenty five. Wow! So I got a second one just like so I could have two, oh, you know. Just out of curiosity, yeah. what, what figure does it come with? A figure? It comes with a scout trooper. Scout yeah. trooper. Okay. It comes with a scout trooper, and the scout trooper has been remade since in the archive line, but they have not re-released the vehicle. Oh. So the vehicle is a little bit harder to find. They also did paint it black and release a Shadow Trooper set with <laughs> an all-black uh, uh, bike in the Black Series line. So That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, let's see. We've had Enfy's Nest bike, which is another uh, variant on that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had Ray's Speeder, kind of pod-like. Yeah, we, we've seen speeder bikes a couple so, of different places. Yeah, I mean, big fan. The, the thing I, I mostly remember with the toys was... Um, my brother, who's older than me, had some Return of the Jedi toys, and so yeah. he had the speeder bike. But I never knew it was the speeder bike growing up because the top plate where the character would sit was gone. The front forks were gone because <laughs> that's what pops off when it explodes. Those got lost to time. Sure, sure. And I don't think we had the stormtrooper for me to know, oh, someone sits on here. Yeah. So I just had these, like, flappy legs underneath <laughs> this, like, body that had Connected this. Connected to an engine. Connected to this engine, and the engine had this this really heavy spring flappy thing that couldn't lock down for some reason. So, I don't know. I thought it was maybe a catapult or something. I don't know. You're a kid. You play you with just, cardboard boxes. Yeah, you figure Your it imagination out. just does stuff. And it wasn't until, like, the 90s when a friend of mine got the Power of the Force uh, 90s line version of it. I went, oh, that's what it is. <laughs> and again, as you mentioned, I've watched Return of the Jedi a billion, trillion times, and for... Just never had it in the right context. Never thought it was a Star Wars toy. Just like the IG-88 I had for a long time. I didn't know there was a cappuccino behind everyone on the the cut-in, pan-and-scan version of Empire. I didn't know that until I read, you know, Tales of the Bounty Hunter that this guy was an actual cool guy. Good times. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we Speeder see... your bikes, huh? Yeah, so we see tons of speeder bikes. Uh, like you mentioned, Kanan has one is another yep. example. Yep. Um, we've seen other ones. There's the Bark Trooper ones from Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot. Anakin rides a subject. speeder bike on Tatooine in Episode Two. 
Oh yeah, he does. Go, and it's uh, a tight little a bunch thing of too. Tuscans, yeah, looks more like those swoop bikes from Shadows of the Empire. Very much referencing that, that. Yeah. Because for the longest time in Legends, it was always kind of speeder bikes are things you buy to store. Swoops are chop shopped. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, heavy hog motorcycles. Yeah. That's not really the case anymore. It seems like the main difference is a swoop is built for racing. A swoop is tuned to be faster, and that's the only real thing. But um, they're all over Star Wars, and they're Mm going to continue to be all over Star Wars because Mm -hmm. a flying motorcycle is cool. Who wouldn't want that? People who value safety. But other than those people who are, like, safe and sound in their land speeders. Good point. Two doors for them, please and thank you. And then even then, then you got the people who really do like, no, no, no. I got a repulsor lift craft like a snow speeder or a T sixteen, full cockpit roll cage. <laughs> I'm protected. Mine even has airbags. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, We've never seen airbags in space. Uh, no, but we definitely noticed that, like, there's definitely escalating levels of safety oh, to the yeah. various vehicles in oh, Star yeah. Wars. I don't think oh, the yeah. Imperial Bureau of Safety really caves a crap about checking if the test dummies survive the crash in there. They're just like, whatever, build it. I don't care. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Why would it matter? No, Stormtroopers aren't people. They're expendable. Yeah. <laughs> they're still clones, right? Some, Maybe. That's a tale for another time. I think we've expended our conversation about the speeder bike for now. Yeah, you ready to go home? Let's ready to go? This. Wrap it up. Let's wrap this thing. Let's do it. Hey, everybody. That wraps this one up. We're done. Another week of Star Wars in the can. Another week of Star Wars. Been a big week. Mac, you do anything interesting in in Star Wars stuff? We haven't seen each other for a few weeks. I was away. Let's see. Uh, Um, Every single morning, I check to see if Celebration's still on. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. Did you hear about uh, the changes in dates for the Lucasfilm Publishing for the High Republic? No. So that that's what makes me think Celebration is maybe in trouble as well. But uh, the, the High Republic books got pushed back to two will be released on January 5th. Oh. And one will be released on February 2nd, I want to say it was. So is any of the High Republic stuff coming out in 2020? No. It is oh. now a 2021 initiative. Oh. Uh, and they, are, they are saying it 100% to COVID. Yeah, well, so. I mean, unlike a lot of things, like a lot of publishing and stuff is more domestic in America yeah. and Canada. So we're the ones like if we were printing books in China, we wouldn't have this problem probably. But yeah. uh, that's so anyway, sad. That's unfortunately, sad. It, it, that's what that made me think of, you know, because that's what I assumed we would hear about at Celebration. Well, let's put it this way. You know what I'm happy about? Mm. 
The Mandalorian season two has already been filmed. Yes, so in happening. theory, there's still at least one bright star yeah. in Star Wars's future. But that that definitely does suck a little oxygen out of the room. Hey, this is still going to be a great year for Star Wars publishing. Presumably, we get Queen Shadow. Yeah, we get Poe Dameron Freefall. We get the new Thrawn book, Ascendancy. Yeah. Uh, so still a decent year for Star Wars publishing. But yeah, losing uh three books right at the end of the year is going to be rough, especially because. Well, I wanted to read them. <laughs> well, and it's also going to stack. Like, yeah. 21 is going to be, like, flush. Yeah, because you assume there were more books planned for, like, Q1, Q2, 2021. And even if they push them around a little bit, you assume the train cars are kind of bashing yeah, into each other. So the 2021 is going to be a yeah. really high Republic yeah. year. <laughs> Normally, I take a vacation that first week of January and go back right around the 5th, 6th. So maybe this year I'll have to push it so I can stay home and read those couple of books <laughs> a little bit. Um, let's see. I just finished reading The Old Republic Deceived, which is the second Old Republic novel from Legends. Mm. Uh, interesting. Uh, we'll talk about it probably at a future time, but uh, I did that while I was on my uh, my car trip to Tennessee. Okay. Uh, I also have uh, finished uh, Queen's Peril, so uh, that'll be released on June 2nd, and we'll have a full review write-up uh, available that day for you. So anyone who's interested in that book, I'll have a spoiler and a non-spoiler review uh, of it available for you on June 2nd on release day. So really looking forward to talking about that. Uh, if you're a prequel fan... You're going to love it. So <laughs> check it out. Uh, let's see. Anything else interesting happen, Mac? I just got my Knight of Ren six-inch black series in the mail. Um, so that's exciting. Uh, I still have not gotten a Count Dooku. No luck there. Well, hey. No know, luck on Dooku yet. You got to keep the chase alive. There's got to be something you can't obtain. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a hunt anymore. One day. One day. I did just uh, get a nice big book lot for my... So we've talked about this before. My Legends collection is coming to an end. It's, you know, it's almost complete. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just closed the deal for about 40 books coming my way to pretty much Snap. almost finish it off. So about 25, 30 of them are new, adding them to collection. And the other five or 10 are kind of just replacing with hardcover copies that I didn't have. So gotcha. it's a very nice... Uh, I'm almost there. I only need like 10 more books and I'll have all of Legends. Damn. Well, all of the adult books. I'm still... There are still some young adults. Well, stuff. yeah. The, the, the main the story publicated. Yeah. You're not getting in Scholastic yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The main storyline, yes. I don't have... The, uh, the Jedi Prince series yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> well, let me know when you get uh, the glove of Darth Vader. I, wanna, I, I, I will. I, I will. I, I will. Uh, uh, yeah, otherwise, uh, other than finding out that one of my lightsabers is ruined, which made me really <gasps> sad. Oh, no. Yeah, my my original uh, Master Replica's Darth Vader lightsaber, the rubbery grips, have something happened to them. I think they sat in the sun or something. Like, they just where they were in my room, the sun, I think, was just beaming on it every day and it they're they're sticky like the finish on them's worn off so oh, i'm trying to no. see if there's a way to fix that but all it's done is maybe like, i guess i have to go to galaxy's edge and buy a new one you i do. just have to it's you not do. a choice anymore while you're there can you pick me up a ben saber i think they're making his now i uh the one thing is if i don't go to anaheim in the um in the back half of this year yeah i am definitely going like well the only advantage is if my trip's delayed, maybe they'll have Ray's lightsaber by the time I get there, because I want that real bad. And I want Leia's. 
Maybe Who we'll luck knew? out. We'll see. Wow. Uh, I. By the way, if anyone's planning on going to Celebration, I'm hopeful. I have to admit, to be honest, if they don't cancel it, I am going to go. Whether it's a good decision or not, I am <laughs> definitely going to go. Um, but I'm definitely in the camp of, I think the right call where the world is, is to not. I mean, as we get to the end of May and go into June, like, August seems close enough that this won't all be squared away enough yeah. to justify it. Yeah. Um, so I'm waiting to see if they cancel it. Um, I'm not really particularly hoping for it, but I do think if they do or delay it, it probably will be better for everyone. Because if nothing yeah. else, the other thing about it is like, even if they put it on, how many people are going to come? Yeah. Like fans, there'll be a bunch of us show up, but like how many of the autographs, how many of the vendors, yeah. how many, how many other people will basically boycott it yeah. out of safety? Yeah. So is it worth having yeah. is kind of the question there. So if that else, I hope by 2021 we'll be somewhat sensible. Go be able to go in bookstores, buy mm-hmm. books, get star Wars stuff. And by 2021, if, if celebration is pushed to then I might be able to go. You're going to have to. Yeah. You're an affluential member of the podcasting community here at Star Wars. Or at least I keep telling myself that we're affluential <laughs> members of the podcasting community. I, I don't know. I'd love to be. I'd love to be influential over anything. Maybe someday. <laughs> Maybe someday. What a weird episode. Um, I had a lot of fun talking, though. No, no. It was I good. a lot of fun. I uh, I think we've got some fun stuff. I've got some fun stuff planned for Star Wars All In. Um, yeah. Some of our plans for the year got derailed a little bit due to this quarantine thing. Uh, but I remember a time when we were very ahead of all of our recordings, and now it seems that we're recording close to the zero hour each week because somehow the quarantine... Like after the first two weeks, the quarantine got harder to record than not. I think he it's because we have. I think it's because we have no structure. There's no schedules. What yeah. day is it? What year is it? Yeah. yeah. All I know is I, there's days I work and there's days I I don't. And don't ask me which one's which. I don't remember anymore. <laughs> That's why I have a smartphone to remind me. Exactly. Well, there is one thing I do know for sure, and we will remind you right now. You can find us next Wednesday on Star Wars All In, just like you can find us every Wednesday. For the foreseeable future, talking about the wars. And until then, I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday, may the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.